and welcome to the first official live streamed episode of the podcast, the Unfounded Podcast, that is. Thank you very much for tuning in today, guys. Uh, and thank you for those of you yesterday who tuned into my live stream test. Uh, I got like eight or nine people just watching me screw around here. So I really appreciate all of your support, guys. Thank you for tuning in to me now. Um, just a heads up, I'm pretty nervous. <laughs> I've never really done this before. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes here that I'm not usually uh, privy to. So um, I'm going to try to, at this point, not I'm not going to be focusing on any of the comments that people are commenting live. I'll do those after the fact. I'll go back and reread them and comment uh, just because I need to kind of keep my train of thought going. I need to keep myself focused on the topic so that I produce a good podcast for the audio listeners as well. Okay, uh, but first, before we get into it, and also, um, as you may have recognized already, we're not going to have any... Uh, here, let me turn myself down a little bit, actually. I think I'm feeding back. Yeah. Um, we're not going to have any music in the live version of this, because that music is always is added post-production, uh, so you're not going to have any music with me talking. This is going to be just exactly what I do when I'm producing the podcast, uh, and you'll be able to watch me do that through that process. But as I've said before... It's kind of cool because I have the ability to show you my screen, as you can see right now, and kind of uh, uh, give you a, a better idea of what I'm looking at and also some proof if, if we need proof at certain times, right, of, of you know, first-hand, second-hand sources, that kind of stuff, right? All right. Uh, so, but first, before we get started, let's go ahead and uh, go through some of the... Uh, websites that I got here pulled up. So um, this is going to be my uh, Instagram, guys. If you guys enjoy the podcast, please consider like, sharing, subscribing to my Instagram, my Facebook, and my YouTube channel. I am live right now on YouTube as well. Um, so you can follow, find the podcast now on YouTube or Facebook live as you're doing right now. Uh, but those are uh, those those uh, URLs are Instagram.com slash the unfounded pod. For Facebook, it's, insta- it's uh, Facebook.com slash the unfounded podcast. And a YouTube channel, I'm going to have to change the URL because it's kind of all jumbled, this big, <laughs> long jumble. But if you want to get to that directly, uh, check out my website at the-unfounded-podcast.simplecast.com. There's a link right at the top of the page here that you can click and that'll take you to my YouTube channel where you can also view this, this uh, content, okay? And last but not least, uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, if you do have the ability to, please consider uh, donating if you can. Um, I have a Patreon set up to try to help uh, pay for some of uh, the overhead uh, for the production cost of the podcast every month, right? So um, that's going to be at patreon.com slash the unfounded pod. Uh, again, if you just are, like listening to the podcast, it's free for a reason, right? Um, I, I want you guys, I want the content to get out to you. I want you guys to be able to view this um, free, but also it does cost a little money uh, to be able to produce it. So if you have the ability to and you feel like you want to support in other ways besides just listening uh, that's one area you can do that also if you want to just use the social media engage on that that's a big help for me as well Alrighty. so that being said without further ado let's roll right into it like i said i'm very nervous right now guys i'm a little shaky i've been drinking one of these monsters these rains you know what i mean <laughs> anybody else drink these suckers they are absolutely ridiculous. I, I kind of took a break as we talked about in sober October. I took a break from energy drinks for that month. And when I went back to them, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like injecting yourself with liquid meth or something. I don't know what uh, liquid meth, you get, you get my point, right? Anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of talking in circles here. Let's get started. So as we usually do, guys, I want to start with a quote because I have been going through some shenanigans in my life, right? Some 
a very difficult point in my life, uh, challenging, I guess is the best way to put it. And I want to try to um, talk through it with you a little bit. But this quote by C.S. Lewis jumped out to me this morning when I was uh, checking out uh, different quotes that may be applicable to my life right now. Uh, And that quote is, One road leads home, and a thousand roads lead into the wilderness. Again, that's by C.S. Lewis. It's so easy to get distracted modern day. There's so many ways that we can, there's so many things out there grabbing for our attention. I was watching an episode of uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. Oddly enough, I've, this episode keeps on getting recommended to me. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever had that on your YouTube channel, but you'll be, if you let it autoplay, it'll keep playing the same thing over and over again. It's been doing this with this one specific episode. Let me see if I can find it for you here. Um, actually, let me switch over here uh, so I can actually give the name of the guy because it was very interesting, actually. this uh, They were talking about uh, the social media movie. I forget what the name of it is. Again, I'll try to find it here. Um, there's a new social media movie out on Netflix, and it kind of gets into uh, some of the... Um, sorry, guys. Let me just see if I can find this for you real quick. Um, it it kind of gets into... I'm not going to be able to find it. It's just going to distract me. Uh The ways in which social media are changing fundamentally the way that human beings interact, the way we think about problems, the way that we uh, approach problems, period. And um, I kept on getting this this podcast replaying over and over and over again. And one of the things it made me realize was that we are, and it made, I realize this in myself as well, <laughs> before I get too far deep into it, I've had uh, quite the month here, right? I lost my job um, as I uh, went through it a couple episodes ago, right? Um, that was a huge drama situation, uh, kind of a love triangle situation that ended up screwing me in the end. <laughs> but you know what? As we've gone through before, uh, I was as honest as I possibly could be in the situation. And so the ramifications of that honesty is that I don't have a job there anymore, but I accept that, right? And what I've found is that during that transition, I've been, I've fallen apart a little bit, if that makes sense. You know, we've talked about, uh, when I started this podcast, I was coming out of a place where, um, a place of extreme isolation, right? Uh, where I was dealing with, uh, disappointments in love, also disappointments professionally and isolation socially. Uh, and out of that isolation came this project, this idea that I needed to try to find a way or a means of enunciating what the proper method of approaching life is, right? What the proper perspective is. And that's how this podcast started. And as I've talked through these different episodes, gone through these different episodes, I think I've identified a couple of aspects or areas that you need to focus on uh, that I've tried to focus on and apply in my life that have worked for me. And one of those things that was working for me uh, when I was in Colorado was a a certain amount of discipline, a certain amount of structure, uh, a certain way I would approach the day. And it was kind of a, it was a hard process to initiate inside myself because discipline is something Structure is something that we often avoid. Um, something I'm very familiar with. If you've ever been in the military, it is Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day to all of my fellow veterans out there today. Thank you for your service, guys. Um, we wouldn't be here today without you. 
And but anyway, um, that one of the experiences you'll you'll find you'll have in the military if you've ever been through the military is this lack of freedom, um, certain lack of autonomy, uh, certain structure that goes along with that though. And for me, getting out of the military, one of the one of the aspects that I kind of took more a more negative perspective on is um, I might have to turn the notifications off. Something's I think it's notifying me that I've viewers yeah <laughs> um let me go ahead and turn the notifications off real quick sorry about that i oh, don't know i better leave it i don't know if i'm gonna screw anything up anyway is that i had a reversion to the discipline because i associated the discipline that i had experienced for that four-year period of time with something like a lack of freedom when i got out of the military it's something that i hear a lot of, of veterans or at, at least at military members talk about before they get out is this this yearning for the civilian life this yearning for the freedom um, that oddly enough you are defending when you're in the military but you you don't get to experience as much of while you're in the service itself and that kind of that sacrificial aspect to it is something that I don't think we often talk about. Uh, that's a little overlooked, uh, and but it's an important part of the experience. And something like I said, I took after the fact um, as kind of a. It made me kind of desire a lack of control, a lack of outside control. So. I kind of pushed back against any kind of discipline. I kind of pushed back against any any structure and allowed myself to just be this kind of amorphous thing that, that went through the day in whatever way I deemed fit, kind of allowing my more primal urges to, to guide me, if that makes sense. And I wonder if, if a lot of veterans don't have a similar experience when they get out. You hear a lot of veterans talk about how difficult it is to, to, to get out of the military. I think that's one of the root problems there, is that the structure of it is something that, that the lack of freedom you experience inside the military is something that causes you to kind of go 180 degrees if you're not careful when you get out. And if you don't catch yourself in that 180 degree flip very quick, you can end up going all the way down to the bottom of the barrel, if that makes sense. You can end up homeless, right? And so it's for that perspective is something that I've been realizing recently, uh, especially considering I'm now you know out of a job, that kind of stuff. And... It's made me think, especially being Veterans Day, about how close I have come at certain points in time and how fortunate I have been as an individual to have the kind of support and guidance that's allowed me to avoid that pitfall, avoid falling out of society entirely, right? Uh, but there's a lot of veterans out there that have not avoided that pitfall, that maybe have some added extra stresses that I didn't have. You know, coming back from wartime, that kind of stuff. I never served overseas in that sense. I, I was stationed in Guam most of my time, but it wasn't it wasn't a war zone, right? Uh, most military members, or a lot of them, go over to war zones and they see things that are horrible that you won't see in your everyday life. And that compounds on top of this kind of reversion to the discipline. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, that aspect of trying to just allow your more primal urges to guide you is something that I believe led me astray for a very long time, for years and years in my life. It was when I was the most prone to using substances. It was when I was the most prone to uh, kind of engaging in, in negative relationships. It was when I didn't actually judge or uh, the relationships I had properly, when I allowed more negative people to be around me because I felt like I was, insecu I was insufficient in some way. And it's also when I allowed people to influence me the most as well. 
One road leads home and a thousand roads lead into the wilderness. There's so many ways that you can be led astray in this life because I truly believe, and we've gone over this before, that there is a very specific path you're supposed to walk as an individual, that each of us individually are very, very unique. What defines you and how unique you are is not, it's not ego-based. It's the choices you've made. Something like that. It's whether you decide to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. It's whether you are willing to recognize the cycles you've placed yourself in. What I think C.S. Lewis is getting at is there's, there's many ways in which that cycle can take place. People, things, substances, any, anything in the world can be used to distract you. can be used to kind of lead you astray, to pull you down, to weigh you down. But that no matter where you are, no matter the circumstances of that cycle you're in, there is always one path out. One. That path is something like absolute honesty and truth within yourself. Now, I know that sounds a little out there. Like, oh, what does that mean, Chris? Well, for me, it means figuring out at a basic level what I'm afraid of. What am I scared of? What terrifies me so much that I don't want to look at it? When I ask myself that question, I usually find whenever, whenever I'm in a place where I feel stuck, right? When I feel like I can't, there's no good option. That's the question I try to ask myself. Okay, it looks like the world has given you a lemon, right? Okay, it looks like, for instance, the situation I'm in right now. You don't have really very many, a, a good way, a good means of making money, Right? Uh, you're at a point in your career or you're at an age where you kind of need to buckle down in a career, for lack of a better way of describing it, right? But then at the same time, you also have this other this other part of you that, that is demanding more attention, this part of me that's more creative, right? This part of me that is fulfilling, that, that creates a drive inside of me to do more, you know what I mean? Um, and that I've reached a point where I'm no longer willing to ignore that aspect of myself that I've realized or recognized at this point in my life that the reason that I've been going through those cycles, the reason I've been so depressed, the reason that I've been so unhappy with the way my life has gone is because I haven't been honest with myself. I haven't been following the path, the road that leads home. I've been getting led into the wilderness by allowing other people to influence me, by allowing substances to take control of me. By placing the power outside of myself and not seizing that for myself, I have allowed this, I guess actually, let me transition to this again real quick. I have allowed myself to fall. And that the only way that I get back up, the only way that I, I, I approach any kind of true happiness, the only way I find any kind of true happiness is to do the thing that is scary, if that makes sense, Right? But what's scary? This. It's very scary. Right? Putting a lot of energy and time and effort into something like this that isn't bringing me any kind of substantial security in the form of finances or anything. But having faith that that will pay off if I continue to put the energy and effort into something is, is one of the truths I believe I've stumbled across. That you can find this for yourself if you like to listen to podcasts, especially Joe Rogan. It's one of the reasons why I enjoy his podcast so much and why it's influenced me to the level it has. Because 
this is one of the things I pulled out of listening for years and years and years to all of the most influential people in our in our society, right? You get access, backstage pass, into the conversations and the minds of the most influential people in our society. That's the value of that podcast. And what I've found, what I've pulled out of that as I've listened to it for I think about four or five years now, is that there's a common trait with the people that are successful that I would like to be embody. Right. There's, there's, there's many different definitions of success in this world, but the kind of success that I want to embody, the people that have gotten to that place have done it through this kind of truth. That's what I've associated with it. It's something like utter honesty with themselves, bravery, courage, uh, vision, leadership, that kind of stuff. The ability to see where you're going to go before it's defined, right? Being the thing that blazes the trail is the thing that makes those people different. It's the thing that sets you apart from the herd. So what I've, what I'm trying to do is apply that in my life and see if it works, right? See if that actually works. See if I can get to a place, not like I'm going to be sitting on Joe Rogan, that'd be dope, right? But not that that's that I'm going to get to that exact spot, um, but that I can apply the same formula and, and test it in my life. Kind of the same way you'd test any hypothesis using the scientific method. And that if you're, you're honest with yourself as much as you can be, and you adjust that process as you go along, eventually you'll get to something like true, something like the one road that leads home. And, you'll, and as the closer you get to that, the more I, I feel like it becomes, it becomes easier to define the thousand roads that lead into the wilderness. They become more obvious because uh, they kind of look similar. They have similar traits, people, things, ideas that draw you further away from who you are. They have a, some, they're unfulfilling. <laughs> it's the way you identify them. They're unfulfilling. They make you feel empty. They make you feel a sense of lack. They make you feel like you're not good enough. Like I said, this applies to, to substances, people, places, ideas, all of that. But that it's very easy to fall into that same routine, that same kind of cycle. That as I kind of started, I know this is a little disjointed, guys. Again, apologies, but like I said, I'm trying out a new process here, so it's a little bit disjointed. That one of the things that led me astray when I left Colorado, and I've gone over this in other episodes, was, was that I put too much into moving, into jumping again to another a reset in the sense that I, I viewed the job that I was coming out here for and kind of the transition, the move itself, as a way to fix everything. You know, start fresh, right? If you hear people talk about that, let's start fresh. While that impulse may seem good on the surface, what it what it does is kind of hides the aspects. Uh, it'll you'll you will hide the parts of yourself that aren't well put together when you do that, uh, because you won't properly identify that you are the thing that's causing the issues in your life. And if you place the responsibility externally, like the world's going to fix that for you by moving you somewhere or something like that. Then you fail to actually fix the problem and it comes back and repeats itself, right? These cycles, like I'm saying. So when I can't so that when I came to Las Vegas and I started this new role, I I I started to fall away from, as you I'm sure you listeners have noticed, that the production of this podcast started to slow down that my ideas uh, stopped flowing as well, that there was a couple episodes that I, at least from my personal opinion, that just weren't, didn't quite hit his heart, that were a little more disjointed, that you could hear throughout it that, you know, my struggles with 
things like weed and nicotine and stuff as I went through those, that those were not necessarily going away, that they were getting worse. And as that process started to take place, as I started to realize that I was getting further away from the path, the road that leads home, I started to feel the same panic, the same despair, the same kind of sinking hole feeling that I felt before, that I've recognized before within myself. And this fear started to grow. Oh shit, I know I'm in the same cycle. How am I going to stop this? On top of that, all of the complications that went along with that new workplace started to happen as well. The whole love tri- triangle issue. The fact that the, the business itself, I think I was being taken advantage of in, in certain ways, that it wasn't being leveraged properly, right? Um, that I was being held in a place that I wasn't happy again. And so the point that I've come to now is that that the reason that I repeated those lessons, the reason that I went back through that is because I wasn't properly put together still. I'm still not. There's still ways that I'm going to be, be insufficient. But that I wasn't following the road. I was following one of those thousands that lead into the wilderness. Because they lead to the same place. Something like a stuck, sticky feeling. You know where you're not... You'll know when you're, you're not where you're supposed to be, if that makes sense. Well, I... I don't know if that's true. I've said before that you're always where you're supposed to be in the spiritual sense. That you are where you are for a reason. The reason you're there is something like you, you even if it's in like a, the shittiest scenario you can think of, you know, those times when you're just like, why me kind of a thing. Well, there's always a reason you're there. So if you're asking the question, why me? That's a good start. There, there will be an answer, but you have to be ready to hear it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why me? Here you go. This is why. What happens a lot of times when we ask that question is we're not ready to actually take or, or recognize the aspects that we have control of. We're very good at identifying how the world has been really mean to us and how people have been really mean to us. But we're very shitty at identifying how we have been mean to ourselves. That when you don't allow yourself to follow this road I'm talking about, what you do is something like a disservice to your spiritual self, to your soul, to your deep self. That I believe truly that one of the things, the aspects of this, this experience, that one of the aspects uh, this, this, this last year, 2020, one of the reasons we've been going through this is because we are being called out in a certain way. Humanity is being called awake, is being demanded to wake up. And I believe, as I've gone through before, that it's something deeply philosophical in nature, that this is an evolutionary process that's taking place, but that evolution takes place over millennia, not over the, the, life, the, you know, the, the period of a, of a human life. And so that this process is exceedingly frustrating because it's not like we're all going to flip on a, excuse me, flip on a switch at once and be, you know, able to communicate without talking or something like that, right? But that I still do believe that this, this more spiritual awakening that is happening around the world is, is there for a reason. And that it's something like connecting us, it's something like igniting the internal wiring that will allow us to connect at a deeper level as a species. It's something like the, the, the ability that's necessary for us to grow as a thing, right? And that, that's kind of why this suffering is taking place in a sense. This confusion is taking place. Because it's, it's demonstrating a fundamental truth to us, right? That there isn't an objective truth, as I've argued many times before. before. There's no objective truth in the world, right? You could say something is true and you could bring, even bring proof, proof of that, right? You know, secular proof. But I can go and find 
one, two, or maybe thousands of people that would disagree with you, that will not accept your proof as true. What that means to me is that there is no objective truth, because objective means everybody agrees. But that idea applies to almost everything. Is something as trivial, trivial as food or music, something as complex as a political you know, ideology. It's, you're never going to get everybody to agree on the same thing. Because of that, there is no objective truth in the way we like to think about it. It's the same problem we have with time. We like to think of time as a solid thing. It doesn't exist in that way. The past isn't a solid thing. The future isn't a solid thing. The only thing that is real tangibly is this, now and now and now, as Sylvia, Sylvia Plath has said, right? That we create in our minds this maze through which we have to navigate by allowing our perception to create simple answers in a way that we want simple answers that Occam's razor right is maybe defined incorrectly that the simplest answer isn't always the right one but it's something like people believe it is <laughs> you know what I mean so that that's the way people act but we have nothing to compare it to that I've often said myself at least politically that complicated problems require solutions that are as complicated if not more complicated than the problem itself that there's a reason the problem is complicated <laughs> you know what i mean one of the dangerous things you can see politically is when when a group or an individual tries to tell you there is a simple answer that's the quickest way you can identify that somebody's being intellectually dishonest because nothing is simple in this world nothing absolutely nothing everything requires some kind of deep intellectual philosophical thought analyzation Nobody's one perspective is enough to even see the world properly to identify what is objectively true, which is why when somebody tells you this is objectively true, you can tell them to fuck off, right? Sorry for the, for the language here, but it'll be in here. <laughs> I'm going to just, like I said, try to be as unfiltered as I can be, right? You tell them screw off because that is, there's, like I just set up, there's, if you follow it logically, there's no possible way that they could know everything. They could know a solution like that. The only way we get to something like a solution that is as complex as the problem is by allowing the complexity of human life to manifest, right? That that's partially why the de democratic process is so important. That's why it's so it's been so effective up until this point as well is because we found a way to leverage that complexity, the complexity of human perspective. That there isn't an, ob an objective truth, but if we try to leverage as many people as possible in their perspectives, give them equal weight, and then distill those, what you'll get to is the closest thing to an objective truth that we can find, right? Which is the best possible assumption that we can apply in a, in a, in a, uh, a legal sense, right? And so that process, while very frustrating and very slow moving, is the most effective thing we know up until this point. All because it doesn't rely on simple solutions and simple answers. It doesn't rely on creating others out of people because it leverages those same people in the in the assumption, in the in the in the process, right? What a crazy time in history. Especially in the history of the United States here, folks. That I don't, regardless of what your political leanings are, if you're listening to this podcast or you're watching it, 
there's something there's something different about what's going on. Now that may just be my subjective opinion, but it seems like it resounds with quite a few people around the world right now that there's something different going on right now, at least politically. And that I do believe that we are headed towards a pretty dangerous, we're headed down a pretty dangerous path. Part of the reason I believe that is because of what I just outlined there. That instead of, you know, each individual finding the one road that leads home, that that one road isn't one road for everybody. It's not the same road for everybody. It's a very individual road that you choose, that only you can find. It is your road home. Your home is different than other people's, so your road is different, right? But it's still the same true road, if that makes sense, right? And that's why C.S. Lewis says it this way. One road leads home and a thousand roads lead into the wilderness. One of the best ways you can find a road that leads into the wilderness is try to have other people define what's important to you. Try to, try to, try to allow other people to influence your thoughts. Look to the external world for answers. Look to the external world for something like Occam's razor, the simple solution. What you'll find is a road leading you into the wilderness, into a more chaotic event, more, more chaotic perspective. Because as you try to accept that singular, that, that singular solution as a solution to all of humanity's problems and try to apply it, what you're going to find is it's not true. But unless you're ready to have that radical honesty within yourself, uh, you're not going to realize that. You'll just continue to double down. And if you continue to double down, the world's not going to adjust to you. It's going to slap you in the face, right? It may take some time, but it'll slap you in the face. And the way that we experience a slap in the face is something like suffering, something like bloodletting, right? And that until we get tired of, of, of that process, right, until it's beat out of us, uh, we are going to continue on the assumptions that the simplest answer is the right one kind of a thing. And that, that's kind of what we're headed towards here. That one of the things I experienced as a member of the extreme left uh, over the past four years is that this is what's happening with the Democratic Party, is that there's this pull within it, not all members of the Democratic Party, but there is this pull from that extreme left group that they have found the solutions to our problems, that they've identified what the problems are, something like power, structures that em- encourage power, and the way that it's been implemented down throughout history, that the way that we fix the, 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 the system itself is by switching out the people in power, right? Because it's something fundamentally wrong with the people that have been in power. That's why all the suffering has happened. There's an inability to accept that suffering is a part of human life, I think, in that as well. It's, it's a process of the disconnection from the natural world that we're experiencing. And... It's causing, I think, the, the, the far left to, to, to radicalize in a dangerous way. Now, I don't. nobody knows what's going on with the election right now. Nobody can say objectively what's happening. But what I can say is from my experience and my subjective perspective, there's something different happening now, as I said before. That this election seems... Yeah, it just it, there's there's a hard way to describe it. It's it's something like unjust. <laughs> Does that make sense? Now, I full transparency, I voted for Trump, right? This time, which is a pretty radical change from who I voted for before. I voted for Hillary 4 years ago. Like I said, I was way far on their left before. 
But that trying to be honest with myself radically over the last four years, this is one of the things that led me to, is that I felt that Trump was a better solution for this problem. Now, I'm not saying you should have agreed with me or not. Like, you have to find the same, do the same process within yourself and find your own truth, your own subjective truth. It's necessary. But also, I've never seen something like this happen politically, where the groups themselves, the political groups themselves, at least one of them is trying to tear down the system at a fundamental level that doesn't want to play by the system rules anymore, doesn't appreciate the structure that we've created here and the stability that that inspires in the nation, that that stability is actually what allows people's individual individuality to flow forth. And so what's happening, and you see this on Twitter and Facebook with all of the, the kind of the, uh, the cancel culture that's going on, right? Um, there's this, this inability to accept that there's other perspectives than the solutions you've held as founded. And the more we butt up against those those other perspectives, the more we try to eliminate them, the more we're going to realize that they aren't going to go away. So that what I see happening here uh, politically, regardless of how the, the election comes out, how the election results play out, is that we're headed toward, we're, we are now firmly on a path that leads us into the wilderness. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because we do have, and I like I, I usually am more critical of the right. Previously, previous years, I've been much more critical of the right, but I'm very critical of the left right now because I feel like a lot of this is coming from the left. The more radical aspects of this, when I say radical, like the the, the thinking that there needs to be a revolution is actually an aspect that I have I have argued for before in the past too. That we need to tear down these systems. That there's something just fundamentally wrong with it. That because it's ex- we've experienced all of this suffering, all this pain, a certain minority groups, if we look at them in those groupings, you know, have ex- as people define it, have experienced injustice, that kind of stuff. Sure. The problem is, is that it's not only isolated to those people. That every person, every group, there needs to be a recognition that every person, every group has their own form of suffering. And that that suffering isn't, it's not necessary to eliminate it. It's the thing that I find so disturbing on the left right now. Is that there's this idea that we can eliminate every type of suffering. Everybody just be comfortable. That was the message that I saw coming from Biden. It was like, I'll fix it all for you. Everything. All of the stress and pain that you've had over the last four years from listening to a Trump, from a guy like Trump and, and having him be a figurehead for the country, that kind of stuff, that's all going to go away. And all of the suffering and all the, all the pain that you felt and everything that's wrong in your life, I'm going to solve right now for you. Just by voting. What does that sound like? To me, it sounds like the move I made. The perspective I had when I tried to move from Colorado to Las Vegas... <laughs> Some kind of some a certain type of wishful thinking, a certain type of inability to accept the complexity of life and a desire for a simple solution, a quick solution. You don't have quick solutions without creating more problems. Because when you have a world as complicated as the one that we live in, those problems you try to inject a simple solution into a complicated problem, it produces an outgrowth of problems that you couldn't even foresee because you weren't properly identifying the problem as complex. Does that make sense? So your solution, your simple solution, could be exactly exactly the, the, the gasoline that lights the fire, which is partially what's happening right now. We're pouring gasoline on a fire politically. The secularism itself has led people astray, has led them away from this faith-based argument, 
something like faith is the way you find one road that, that the one road that leads you home. I'm not saying you have to go worship any deity, but that faith is something we need to detach from the religious structures and institutions itself. That faith is something like recognizing truth within yourself, not externally. Looking for subjective truth, not objective truth. And then once you find your subjective truth, enunciating that as much as you can without in, imposing or infringing on other people's right to do the same. And that the more that we do that, the more that we realize our own truth and have faith that that truth, enunciating that and expressing it into being will bring out of us something like what we're always meant to be is what is the fundamental assumption that has worked in the United States up until this point. And it's the thing that we need to continue operating on. We aren't doing that though. You know, I started the podcast talking about that episode, that Joe Rogan, where they were talking about the uh, social media, social dilemma, I think is what it's called on Netflix. And the way that social media has influenced us, has leveraged us, have these algorithms almost without, not intending to be this way, but by identifying what was the most financially, what was the best financial incentives has, has, has also incentivized the least admirable qualities inside the human being, which has caused us to this, this devolving process to kind of speed up in a way. There is one road that leads home. It's not the same for everybody. It's not the same road for everybody. It's your road. Your road. The only way for us to define uh, define what that road is or where it lies is for us to go through the suffering it entails. Because that road that leads home is not going to be a... a a nice paved path on which you get to just stroll all the way to your true being, which is kind of what we've sold people in school growing up. This is what we tell children, especially with this culture of, of kind of sheltering kids, right? Is, is that we, we've told them that there isn't, that suffering isn't necessary in life, that life is supposed to be comfortable. What that sets up for children is, is inevitably when they run into the discomforts in life, or let's say they are on, you know, I, I believe that every child is born knowing this, that you are born knowing you have this innate sense of what you're supposed to do. And it's different for everybody. And so that if you watch children, the way that they develop, they will kind of find their own niche if you allow them to, right? That as, they, as their identity develops, they will find the path they're supposed to be on. But oftentimes what we do is we try to kind of segment them and control them and compartmentalize them, protect them and all that kind of stuff. And we put them through these systems that train them out of thinking that. The education system itself is, is a way of training people into believing that there's very specific subjects or method of thought that are more effective than others. And that if you're one of the people that doesn't automatically align with those ways of thinking, then you need to be trained to align to those ways of thinking. The secular worldview, right? But that it it's not true. And that what that process does is actually leads people further away from the road that leads them home, from their actual true purpose. The way that they could actually be most effective in society, ironically enough, that our systems, that the systems we have built actually are hurting us. 
they're pulling people further away from a place where they could they could provide their true uh, their novelty to the world, which is so necessary that we train people out of this. And the further through life we get, the step-based thinking, where it's like, hey, it's like the grades, right? The grades in elementary school and high school. You know, you, what do you, you know? We, we tell kids that, that everything's segment, segmented and safe, that we've created this ladder for them, that all you need to do is climb the ladder. You know, go from one step to then at one rung to the next, right? First grade, second grade, second grade, third grade, third grade, fourth grade. You get through that, go to middle school and go to high school. And what do you do after that? You go to college, right? Then you go, you go through these steps. And what do you do after college? You get a career, then you get, you know, financially stable. Then you start to buy some things, a house, blah, 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 blah. And then you find a partner and then you, you have some kids. And there's this whole <laughs> ladder set up for us of the proper road home. And it's the same road for everybody, apparently. <laughs> you know what I mean? Apparently, it's the same road for everybody. I disagree. C.S. Lewis does too. <laughs> I think most philosophers, most thinkers would disagree with that as well. Because the only way they've gotten to a place where they've had ideas, like one road leads home and a thousand roads lead into the wilderness, is by blazing their own path, is by finding the one road for themselves, right? Right? The most influential people in the world, the most influential thinkers, the most influent the people that have done the most good for the humanity have done this. Have been trailblazers. They haven't been followers. They haven't been sheep. It feels good to have people support us. It feels good to have people agree with us. It's a very, very uncomfortable feeling to have be the only person out there speaking. If that makes sense. It's a very uncomfortable feeling to be the only person saying a very specific viewpoint. But that fear is actually what's keeping you. That, that's one of the hurdles on that road. Right? Is that one of the ways you identify something that's novel is it's going to scare the shit out of you. Because it's, 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 it's something that isn't tested. So when you have a novel idea... The way you're going to recognize it's novel is by being scared shitless of it. <laughs> it's something like that, right? The way you can recognize real novelty in the world is something like fear. Well, many episodes ago, we went through this the way we perceive things. But at a, at a very fundamental level, the human being, I believe, has developed, has associated, has developed this fear, this sense of fear out of a, out of a necessity to survive, Right? The fear is associated with the unknown. Anything that's unknown is scary. Why? Well, because in, in prehistoric times, you know, the darkness was where danger lied, right? Where you couldn't see is where the threat that would kill you lied. And so we developed this innate sense, this fear of the unknown to where we were tr constantly trying to define the unknown, to make it more safe, the world a more safe place. And as this has grown throughout the millennia, we've come to a place where it's been fairly effective, right? But that it's no longer evolutionarily effective, I don't think. It's actually degrading us. Responding to fear in that way and allowing it to lead our lives is actually what's creating the most suffering in the world in an odd way. And the way that we get out of that is by each individual person having the courage and strength to espouse their novel idea and, and birth it into the world and bring it into being. What does that mean for you? I don't know. I can't define for you. What does that mean for me? Something like this, right? But it's going to be different for everybody else. 
And that what we really need right now isn't a political leader like Joe Biden. And I guarantee you, things will not get better, regardless of who's in office. It's not about the political power, people in power. That assumption that the left has made, that the, the way that you affect things, the way that you affect the world is by holding places of power and instituting them downward is fundamentally wrong. That's the way you create the most suffering in the world. It's not the most effective way to change the world. The world doesn't change according to one person's opinion. It evolves over many lifetimes. You're not important enough to see the culmination of evolution in this lifetime. To think you are is so audistic that you should probably check your ego. Audistic? It's not a word. The audacity of that, right? That you could be the one person that would solve everything is something exceedingly scary. Why? Ask, try to figure out what kind of mental space you'd have to be in to actually believe that. To think that you are the thing that could solve everything in this world. Actually try to accept that in your head and then see how crazy you feel about two seconds afterwards. It turns you into a maniac. Which is partially why I'm scared of Biden right now. Because I'm not so sure he's in the mental state or has the mental capacity to understand that he isn't that savior. <laughs> that nobody is. I'm not saying it politically. I'm saying it generally. Not, no one person is a political savior. The levers of power are very ineffective. People are uncontrollable in that way. The world isn't that simple. That when we try to institute things downwards in that way, politically, what we get is a spreading of problems because we haven't properly identified the complexity of the system we're working within, which is partially why there's always a need for government to grow. Why no no one program is ever enough to solve all of the problems within the world. Why there's always a need for more of them, right? It's one of the more fundamental conservative arguments. That there's this fundamental desire within the human being to institute their perspective on people or in the world, especially when they don't agree with them. But that kind of tyranny is exactly what we're trying to avoid. That we experience that kind of tyranny in the most direct way by living under a despot and a king for most of humanity's existence. Before we broke away and formed our own union, that the founding fathers were living under tyranny. That when one person has all of the power, it's, it's the way you recognize, that's the most obvious way to see what tyranny is. And how people in general are not, when, when given that much power, don't act properly. They do something like try to, there is no way to act properly when given that much power. It's like, it was that quote, like, ultimate power corrupts, absolute, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? That there's there's something, I think it's Benjamin Franklin that says that, if I'm not mistaken. We can hear, let's see if we can look it up real quick. Uh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. John Dalberg, Acton. John Dal- Lord Acton. John Emmerich Edward Dalberg Acton, first baron Action. Acton, 13 Marquis of, I don't know what that says, was an English ca- uh, Catholic historian, politi- a politician, and writer. He was the only son of Sir Ferdinand Dahlberg Acton, 7th Baronet, and a great, that is quite the title, and a grandson of the Neapolitan Emperor and Prime Minister Sir John Acton, the 6th Baronet. Between the 1837 and 1869, he was known as Sir John Dahlberg Acton, 8th Baronet. He's also, he is perhaps best known for the remark, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely 
great men are almost always bad men. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Yes. Which he made in a letter to an Angelican bishop. Bishop. I said that weird. Isn't that interesting? I have C.S. Lewis Wikipedia pulled up here too. Let's go ahead and read about him. Clive Staples. I didn't know his full name. That's what it is. Clive Staples Lewis was a British writer and lay theologian. He held academic positions in English literature at both Oxford University and Cambridge University. Sorry, I had to check something there. He is best known for his works of fiction, especially the Screw Tape Letters, the Chronicles of Narnia, which is something I didn't realize, but I guess I kind of did, <laughs> and the Space Trilogy, and for his nonfiction Christian apologetics, such as Mere Christianity, Miracles, and the Problem of Pain. Lewis and his fellow novelist J.R.R. Tolkien were close friends. It's something I didn't know until reading this as well. They both served on the English faculty at Oxford University and were active in the informal Oxford literary group known as the Inklings. According to Lewis's 1955 memoir, Surprised by Joy, he was baptized in the Church of Ireland but fell away from his faith during adolescence. It's a common occurrence. Lewis returned to Angelicism, Angelicanism at the age of 32, also a common occurrence, owing to the influence of Tolkien and other friends. That's interesting. And he became an ordinary layman of the Church of England. Lewis's faith profoundly affected his work and his wartime radio broadcasts on the subject of Christianity brought him wide acclaim. It's during the times of pain and suffering when people turn towards this kind of inner truth, spirituality. Lewis wrote more than 30 books, which have been translated into more than 30 languages and have sold millions of copies. The books that make up the Chronicles of Narnia have sold the most and have been popularized on stage, TV, radio, and cinema. His philosophical writings were widely cited by Christian apologists from many denominations. So I didn't read all. I've seen some of the movies. I haven't read all of the Chronicles of Narnia, but I remember why. I think it was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if that was the first one. Something like that. I read that one. And um, there's a certain sense. I love the way C.S. Lewis writes because there's a, this, the worlds he creates are so intricate, and, and, but also very um, – there's depth to him. That the way he creates his characters is – represents a certain they're, they're applicable in your life same way that all of the all of the Disney stories are applicable in your life practically not not in some kind of like spiritual sense but practically that if I if I remember right it's been a very long time since I read that that book but if I remember right when the kids go through the wardrobe they're first met with this goat-like figure and I forget what his name is but um, it's kind of a trickster type that from what I can remember, like I said, this has been like decades ago that I read this book, but um, that figure is something like your conscious, conscious, conscience, conscience. There you go, <laughs> right? That that that, and that it is kind of a trickster of sorts, right? That it kind of plays with you, it toys with you, it kind of describes to you the 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 comedy within life itself that oftentimes we take to life too seriously. But that there is this internal dialogue you can have. That when they go through the the, the the wardrobe, what they're doing in some sense in a they're not going to another physical realm. They're they're opening up the communication, the doorway to to a realm that already exists. <laughs> if that makes sense. I think that's kind of what he's getting at. And I've talked for before, argued for before, that I believe that there is this other plane of existence on which something like archetypal personalities prowl and that they try to communicate with you and that you have the ability to hear these things to actually turn that on everybody does that being an empathic or psychic is not a, is not something that is you're born with 
maybe certain people are more prone to that, right? I don't know for, for, for a fact, but I do, do think and do believe that this is something like an ability evolving inside the human being and that there's a necessary process for each of us to go through for it to turn on and that, yeah, not everybody's going to turn on at the same time, but that one of the processes of having that turn on when nobody else is is that you start to incorporate it into your ego and then you think you're more special than everybody else, which is kind of what I see a lot of people doing out there <laughs> in terms of, of, of these more these kind of abilities. They use it to kind of build their ego. That's why I try to not talk about the abilities themselves very much because it's something that I try to not incorporate into my ego, but that I, things that I recognize inside of myself that I can feel that are as tangible as, as this desk that I just hit, right? And that I do, do believe there's a necessity for us to each find that guide that is trying to connect with us, right? Because that guide is, is, is what will describe your road to you right? It'll do it in tricky ways, in kind of coy ways. You are the thing that has to decide still. It can't take the decision from you, right? God, the universe, the angels, ancestors, whatever you want to call them, when they're guiding you, they can't do it for you, which is how we usually think about religious experience and spiritual experience. We think about it in terms of miracle, but the miracles are miraculous because they are rare, <laughs> right? That in general, the way that people grow is something like them taking the reins over the decisions in their lives and following their inbuilt compass. Something like the things that make them different, something like the things that scare them, as odd as it sounds. Now, first, you have to turn on the, you have to realize that you have the ability to turn around and face the dragons that are chasing you. That once you turn around and face the dragons, you see that those fears are actually blocking a path. They're actually blocking you from getting to the, the chamber with gold in it. But you can't see it if you're running away from them. They don't even look like it, ex it doesn't even look like it exists. But as soon as you're willing to look at your fear deeply and stop it and have that brawl and that fight, the path illuminates itself because you're looking for it, right? And that's, I do believe that's what we need right now is somewhat of a checking out of the external world. You know, as this, as we've done through most of this year, as we've done through most of this, uh, most of 2020, been isolated. I think there's a necessity to, to, to follow that, to, to leverage that isolation. Um, so that this kind of enunciation can happen. To take away the distractions the social media, that kind of stuff that influences you and keeps you enthralled. This whole purpose is to keep you distracted there, right? To try to pull yourself out of that. Try to leverage and keep yourself in that uncomfortable space until you figure out a way to get around the dragon, to get around the hurdle. And that in some ways, once you do, because you will find it if you keep yourself there. How, why? Because it's exceedingly uncomfortable to be in that place. So you will find a way out of it. <laughs> but you got to be honest with yourself and you have to be willing to look at those fears. Right? That's the road that leads home. Just so happens to be brought, blocked by a bunch of big dragons. <laughs> it's not clearly paved. It's not the yellow brick road. No, 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 no. It's something much more dangerous because each one of those monsters, each one of those dragons has the ability to take you out. And that's why we run from them. We know that 
They are hurdles that we can fail to overcome. The only way they take you out, though, is you giving up. The only way that you ever actually stop the process of growth is by choosing it. Choosing to stop. What does that look like? Looking to the external world for vindication. Shutting off your faith. Shutting off the belief that there is a path that you need to follow. Right? Comforting yourself with substances, with people, with places, with ideas. Right? All of this. Lulling ourselves into a certain type of slumber. That's how we avoid this path. And trust me, <laughs> there is a thousand roads, a thousand, thousands of different ways you can do that. Thousands of different substances, different ideas, different people, different places, different things that can lead you astray. I hope if you're listening and watching to this episode of the Unfounded Podcast, you're not one of those people, right? <laughs> but also, I can't define what your truth is. Right? I can't tell you what's right or wrong. I can't tell you uh, what your path looks like. All I can do is enunciate my own. So what I truly wish and hope for each of you that are watching and listening to this is that you find or begin that process within yourself to truly find who you are, right? Your true meaning, your true value on this, on this plane. Because it's desperately necessary. Changing the world and fixing it politically in, in terms of political action is not going to fix it. It's going to tear it down. We're, we're headed really quick towards that kind of a scenario. We may already be too far down that road to avoid it. But that even if we do come to a point in this country where the stability leaves us and violence, once again, is the law of the land, then this process is going to be more necessary than ever. And that until people realize this is the truth, this, this your truth is the truth, and stop and stops trying to affect other people's versions of it. So trying to institute their vision of perfection in the world. Or try to hold objective perfection as something that's attainable. Until we realize that those things are fallacies. Those are lies we tell ourselves. Those are ideas that we use to comfort us. We'll continue to fight for them. As if they're a solution. But the less they, continue, the less they solve our problems, the more we'll fight for them. Until we get so tired of slashing and gutting other people that we just stop and go home. that we have no other choice but to stop, turn around, and try to find the road that leads us home. You can prolong that change, or you can be an early adopter, as I said in other episodes. Do you want to be the thing that pushes humanity upward? By leveraging your own perspective and making yourself the best person that you could be? Not the world, but yourself? That's the only way that we make this thing better. Every single individual person doing that. No one person is enough to save everybody in this, in this world. That savior complex is so dangerous. And we really need to avoid it moving forward. Or else we'll reap what we sow. <laughs> I truly believe that. 
And if you have been tuning in for this first live-streamed episode of the podcast, I truly thank you guys. Thank you for listening to me, and thank you for tuning in. I don't know how many listeners we've had up until this point. Um, let me see if I can see here. It's like switching back and forth. Uh, it looks like we have about four or five viewers right now on at least one of the channels on Facebook or YouTube. So thank you to you viewers out there that are listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast, uh, p- please like, share, and subscribe to it. Leave a comment um, in the comment section on the live podcast. I will get to a point where I'll be better at actually engaging during the show on that. But again, as you could probably tell, this is a new process. It's a little fumbly right right now. So I didn't want to distract myself more than necessary so I could at least get good ideas and content out to you. Okay. Uh, also, like I said, uh, please check me out on my Instagram page, my Facebook page, my YouTube page. Um, all of those are going to be down in the left-hand corner for you. Not starting soon. We are being right back. Um, so go ahead and follow those uh, if you can. That'd really help me out as well. And like I said, uh, check out my Patreon page. Uh, and if you have the ability to, please help uh, in whatever means you deem fit. Okay. Um, if you do, if you are just tuning into the podcast for the first time live, um, check out uh, whatever whatever phone type you have, if you have Apple or Android, um, check out one of the podcast uh, uh, apps. You can use Spotify on, on uh, Android or, or Google Podcasts or Apple, just use Apple Podcasts, right? Check the podcast out on there because um, what I do after this is I don't do any editing uh, to what I just, you know, to the conversation. Uh, what I do is I just take that and I, I layer music behind it because I think it kind of sets the tone uh, a little better for people. So, um, if you want to check out kind of how the podcast sounds in just an audio format, uh, give it a listen. I'll have it up here probably in about 45 minutes to an hour and we will be back at it soon guys. But again, thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you for all of your support. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and I will see you very soon. Lots of love. Bye-bye.